Midtown Detroit studios of WDET. This is Detroit Today. The Constitution says the president can't use the presidency to make money. But President-elect Donald Trump says he's not going to get rid of the businesses that have made them wealthy and instead wants to turn them over to his children. Does this raise a constitutional crisis even before the president-elect is sworn in? We're going to talk with a law professor about that. We'll also catch up on what's happening with the Michigan recount of presidential ballots. It's all next on Detroit Today. But first, the news. Welcome to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for joining us. Over the weekend, the New York Times detailed all of the many conflicts of interest that Donald Trump is planning to bring with him into the White House because of his career in business and development. Trump also relies on foreign banks to lend him money to pursue major projects, and he says he doesn't intend to liquidate his assets and put them into a blind trust, which is what most people do when they're elected president. Instead, Trump would like his adult children to oversee the Trump brand while he is president. There's a clause within the Constitution that may present a legal conundrum for the president-elect if he continues business with foreign entities. It's called the Emoluments Clause, and it's intended to stop the president from having these kinds of conflicts. I wanted to talk up front today about this clause and how it might affect the early days of the presidency of Donald Trump. Uh, joining me to talk this over is uh, Richard Primus. He's a professor of law and a constitutional law expert at the University of Michigan. Richard, welcome to Detroit Today. Good morning. Hey. Uh, so my read of the Emoluments Clause basically says that what Donald Trump is planning to do, before, even before he has put his hand on uh, a Bible and, and taken the oath of office, uh, is, is in violation, that, that uh, this is exactly the kind of thing the Emoluments Clause was intended to prevent. Uh, first, I want to ask you if my read of that is, is correct according uh, to your analysis, but then if that's true, what does that mean? What, what, what are the potential sort of consequences or, or fallout from that if it's true that he would be in, in uh, contravention of that clause. So first, I think your reading is correct. What he says he plans to do would be a violation of the Emoluments Clause. The Emoluments Clause is in the Constitution as a protection against foreign influence. Yes. Right? It's a way to try to prevent American officials from owing things to foreign governments or from being influenced by their own financial incentives and they're dealing with the foreign governments, making sure that they're just working for the interests of the United States. It's a pretty straightforward idea. I don't think anyone thinks that it's not a good idea to have something like the Emoluments Clause. Right. Um, and so the only question here, really, is whether President-elect Trump is willing to comply with the constitutional rule about which there really isn't a lot of dispute. There's no debate about and, this. Yeah. Right. I mean, the, the proposition that he would be in violation of the Emoluments Clause has been endorsed by experts across the political spectrum, including the chief ethics officer of the, of the Bush administration. There are lots of constitutional questions that people disagree about, where people have different views about what's good for the country. We mm -hmm. argue about abortion or affirmative action or the Affordable Care Act. We don't really argue about this. There's no big group of Americans that thinks it would be good for America to let the president have private motives to profit from his dealings with foreign leaders. Yeah. And we have a clause in the Constitution prohibiting it. So the only question is whether this official is willing to comply with the constitutional rule. And so and so uh, it, it, let's say he says no. Let's say he says I don't think this 
this activity that I'm involved in because it's my children, it's not me, uh, because I'm the president of the United States, something we've heard before from people who've occupied that office. What if he says, that means I'm not in violation and I don't plan to do anything different? What, how, how would that how would that conflict, or as you say it, uh, as you describe it as a conflict, how would that get worked out in, in our republic? Well, so the first thing to notice is it's super dangerous, right? It's, it's, um, it's a shot across the bow of the Constitution. Yes. Um, he's saying, uh, and one of the things he's saying is voters knew about his foreign business interests when they elected him. So they've already decided to give him a pass on this, and we shouldn't worry about it. Right. That's an elected official saying that he thinks that the fact that he was elected to office gives him a license to violate the Constitution. It's almost unthinkable. Any other president who we've had would be bending over backwards to make sure that they don't go into office under a cloud, not just a cloud, that they don't go into office brazenly saying, I will not be limited by the constitutional rules that are supposed to limit me. It's a dare almost to say, I can do this, I dare you to stop me, which raises the question, what could stop him? And there are a couple of possible answers. The one that people think of first, because it's a constitutional question, is judicial. Right? The question is, could someone go to court and file and a suit, file a suit sure. right, and get a court to say, um, the president is in violation of the emoluments clause, and in order to come into compliance, he must divest himself of his business interests. All of the relevant business interests go into forced sale, blind trust, some such thing. It's unlikely that a court will do that. Unlikely because it's difficult to figure out who has standing to bring the lawsuit. To bring that suit, right? This is sure. a technical problem, right? Um, the emoluments clause isn't there to protect other businesses who are his competitors. If it were, um, then you know they could go to court. It's there to protect the whole American people, and it's difficult to go to court as the whole American people. <laughs> right. We don't know for sure that courts would kick out a case like this on standing grounds. Sometimes, when there's a really, really important public interest, courts find ways of hearing the case, even if you couldn't quite predict that that would happen in advance. Yeah. The, there's another thing, though that could happen that is the route to um, adjudicating this problem that seems in some sense more straightforward or more, more I don't know if it's more likely, um, but it's certainly more robust. And that is that it's up to Congress. Yeah. Um, Congress is the branch that really has the heft to stand up to a president who is acting beyond the Constitution. The question is whether Congress will do anything. Well, whether this Congress in particular, given its makeup, given its, uh, its party affiliation with this president, would that, would that rise, would this concern rise above those partisan ones? Right. That is very much the question, right? Now, we don't know yet what exactly the relationship between this Congress and this president will be. Um, There's been a lot of conflict between Donald Trump and a lot of Republicans in Congress. We don't know whether they will settle into a normal relationship where they support the president of their party or something a little bit different. What we do know is is that it's really only Congress, or likely to be only Congress, that has the ability to say, uh, either by refusing to cooperate with the president's proposed initiatives unless he complies with the Constitution, right. or by threatening to remove him from office if he insists on violating the Constitution, right, that he could really be brought into line. Yeah. 
And the reason this is so dangerous, it's, um, the constitutional system generally relies on public officials to have themselves some sense of self-restraint, yes. right? That I'm an officer of this republic, and I have an obligation to comply with its constitutional rules, even if nobody is standing over me, you know, with a stick and making sure that I do it. I have an obligation to comply with the rules. The system has checks and balances to try to prevent people from breaking the rules, but it really relies on people to have that own inner sense, I have an obligation to comply. Mm -hmm. If President-elect Trump is saying, I'm not going to comply, right? Um, if you wanted someone who would comply with this rule, you shouldn't have elected me. You elected me, and I'm not going to comply. It's very dangerous. It and goes into office with a statement about whether he intends to be limited yeah. by the Constitution. And, and that, to me, I mean, the, 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 the phrase constitutional crisis gets thrown around an awful lot in uh, political rhetoric. But I, I, it seems to me that it's, it's literally applicable here because of what you're saying. I mean, this is somebody who could, through his own actions, his own unwillingness to comply with a specific provision of the Constitution, throw us into a state where we don't have that rule of law sort of that we all count on uh, playing out uh, in an in an sort of equal and and fair way. I think that's right, and I think that if we wanted to look at it in a positive light, we would say this: it's an opportunity. It's an opportunity uh -huh. for Congress before Trump takes office as president to say, "We will not tolerate this." You've been elected president, and you're going to execute the constitutional powers of the presidency, but you do not have a license to violate the Constitution, and we're going to demonstrate now that those are the rules by standing up to you on this. Because if Congress doesn't stand up to him on this, the signal is he can break a next rule and a next rule. The time to stand up for the rules is at the beginning of the game. Yes, yes. In order to say, this is how this is going to go, you will not be allowed to just f sort of flout uh, the, 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 the one document that sort of binds us all together uh, as one nation. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, Richard Primus, I know uh, you've got to run to, uh, to another uh, appointment, and so I, I want to thank you for being here, though. This was a, a great explanation. Uh, Richard Primus, professor of law and a constitutional law expert at University of Michigan, uh, thank you very much for being here on Detroit Today. Happy to be here. Absolutely. And, of course, we will come back to this subject uh, again before January 20th when Donald Trump uh, does put his hand on a Bible and uh, take the oath of office to become uh, the next president of the United States. We'll talk about what the recourse might be for citizens in this country if he insists on uh, violating the emoluments clause of the Constitution. All right, up next, we are going to talk about the possibility of a recount here in Michigan. What does that mean? What does that mean for your vote, the vote that you cast on November 8th? And how sacred is that vote? Stay with us on Detroit Today. News. Culture. Community. Every day. On 1019 WDET. A different kind of public radio. You're listening to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. State elections officials are gearing up for a possible recount of Michigan's presidential election results. It would be a massive undertaking that's unprecedented in Michigan history. Yesterday, a state election board certified the election results from November 8th, and that is the normal time frame in which that happens. And those results showed that Donald Trump won Michigan by just 10,000 votes. Now, Green Party candidate Jill Stein's campaign says it's going to challenge those results. 
that is a provision of election law here in the state of Michigan that allows you to challenge uh, the results of an election if it is within a certain margin. Is this a good idea? Should such a close result always lead to a recount, or is this just a big waste of time and money? I want to spend the rest of the hour talking about this question of recounts and also of your vote. I think this gets to a much broader issue about how we vote, how we make sure our votes are secure, and how we make sure all of our votes count. There's a real split of opinion on this, I think, and that I've been hearing the last few days or so. Some people believe that the recount is a way to affirm election results, to make sure that every vote was counted correctly and that uh, people are not left behind. Other people believe that recounts help undermine the certainty of election outcomes because it suggests that perhaps the count was wrong. Which one is right? And when you go and cast your vote, are you certain that it will count the way you uh, the way you intend it to? Are you certain that uh, that it, there there is not uh, a, a process uh, afoot to undermine what the intent of the voters was? Three one three five seven seven one zero one nine is the number. Three one three five seven seven one zero one nine. Talk to me about recounts. Talk to me about voting. Should we have better ways to keep track of the votes? that we cast uh, in in Michigan? Uh, should we have a stronger record uh, to see exactly how we did what we did? Do we need better voting systems here in Michigan? Talk about the process that we go through each time we go to the ballot box and make these decisions. Does it make you feel secure that the decisions you're making uh, are mattering the way that we say they should. Again, 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page, put your comments there, or you can go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today. Uh, joining me up front to talk about this process is Chad Livengood. He's a political reporter at the Detroit News. Chad, welcome to Detroit Today. Thanks for having me, Stephen. Absolutely. Uh, talk about what we learned yesterday from the the process that the board of canvassers went through, uh, that they go through every every time we have an election here in the state of Michigan. Of course, there was a much more attention on on what the board of canvassers was doing yesterday. Yeah, it was a, it was a packed crowd uh, with uh, lawyers and uh, and news media there, and essentially they went through the normal step of of certifying. Um, the results as certified by the 83 counties, uh, and which showed Donald Trump uh, uh, prevailing over Hillary Clinton by 10,704 votes. Uh, from there, they, they took some um, uh, comments from uh, uh, Jill Stein, uh, the Green Party candidate's new, uh, uh, newly minted attorney, uh, Mark Brewer, who is not uh, uh, an unfamiliar face to anybody uh, in, in Michigan politics. He's the former longtime chairman of the Michigan Democratic Party, and he has agreed to help run this uh, recount that she is uh, going to request uh, in writing uh, by tomorrow. Uh, and that essentially is going to trigger, um, it, it's an automatic recount for all intents and purposes until there, but there are ways to slow it down or stop it um, if, if Donald Trump wants to um, uh, exercise his own rights to do so. Uh, his attorneys, uh, he's hired a couple of, of, of Lansing's uh, super election attorneys, uh, John Pirich and Gary Gordon, and they, they stepped up and said this should just be a machine count. We should just run all 4.8 million ballots through the, uh, through the machines again. Uh, but Jill Stein says that's not the point. We want to make sure the machines are correct. And and their and their their basis of this is that that there were eighty four thousand some odd votes um, that were blank that did not have a presidential election vote. Now, you don't have to vote for every race on the ballot. You can you can skip ballots, and we know just based on the polling that these are the two most unpopular candidates in the history of modern American uh, politics. So it doesn't it seems to reason that there were at least some. 
uh, tens of thousands, possibly, uh, of voters who, who simply skipped the presidential election. But Jill Stein um, and some of her supporters want to go back and check these ballots in particular. Um, but when you're doing that, you have they want they'd want to do a full recount, um, and and they so the state elections um, director is preparing to start this as early as Friday in in the 19 largest counties in the state. Yeah. Uh, You know, when you say the word recount in this country, the image I think that comes most immediately to people's minds is the recount in Florida in 2000 after the presidential election that year. And the sort of, uh, I don't want to say chaos, but the, the, the sort of, uh, uncertainty that seemed to surround that process. The, the 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 photos, for instance, of people, you know, staring sort of cross-eyed at ballots to try to determine what voters' intent was uh, in the way that they marked those ballots. Um, we haven't done this process here before in the state of Michigan. Is some of the concern that uh, it would be similar to that that it would that it would drag on the way it did in Florida and that we'd have these sort of images and senses that that uh, that the integrity of the vote was being compromised by the recount itself well uh, luckily uh, for for my sake Stephen um, we don't have uh, butterfly <laughs> we don't have the butterfly ballot, right <laughs> yeah so because I've absorbed 16 years of hanging Chad uh, jokes so um, so yeah essentially uh, it, there's a possibility but it's going to be very quick because there is a a pretty hard deadline to try to get done um, by the 13th of December and and that's because there is a there's 19th century um, federal law that creates a kind of a safe harbor period between the time when the states certify the vote and when the presidential electors meet in Washington to actually cast the actual ballots to to elect the next president. And that's on the 19th of December. Right. So there has to be a, this sort of down time period, and it's, it's all because of concerns that back in the 19th, late 1800s that, um, that the Congress could seat different electors um, that were not the ones designated for the one that's, that, that won the, um, the Electoral College. So um, th- that, could, that could get messy, but that, and that's essentially why, uh, as you may recall, uh, one of the reasons why the Supreme Court in 2000 shut down the um, uh, uh, Stop the Florida Recount. Right. They, had, they had run against that deadline, uh, and I believe that ruling was around the 12th or, or, so, or 13th of, of December that year. So, so this, this is pretty, uh, this is going to have to be done in a very, very quick fashion. Um, and they're talking about working basically day and night um, from, uh, from Friday and, uh, for the next 11 days. Um, and, and yeah, it could, it could turn into a spectacle. Uh, it has, it has, you know, has the, ch- the chances of it. At the same time, um, we're not going to be like staring into um, uh, punch holes here. <laughs> They're going to be simply looking at the markings on the ballot. And and one of the issues with with the with the optical scanners in other recounts for local races and state house races that have been narrow in recent years, um, they will find some votes. They will get new votes uh, when they when they do a hand recount. And the conclusion is that you have ballots that have been faintly marked. You have to you have to complete that arrow. From from side to side, and sometimes uh, a voter may not may their hand may slip. They may not actually complete it. They may create a check mark. It doesn't actually fill in enough that the optical scanning machine misses the vote. And that's part one of the reasons why uh, Jill Stein wants to pursue this this recount is to um, is to see whether there are more votes out there. Yeah. Now, if you there's 84,000 of those votes. Um, there is there is if there are uh, under votes or there are uncounted or blank votes, um, they're going to break both ways. Uh, they're going to go to to Hillary Clinton. They're going to go to Donald Trump, Gary Johnson, maybe even Jill Stein. Um, and that brings up another point. People kind of wonder how is Jill Stein um, asking for a recount? She finished fourth. Right. Um, she has she, no she, chance to to end up with. Michigan's electoral vote. Fifty-one thousand votes. Um, yeah, she's two point two million behind.
behind uh, Donald Trump. Um, and the, the law is pretty simple that if you are losing candidate on the ballot, you have the right to, to ask for and pay for a recount. Um, as essentially now, it will be interesting to see whether the Republican legislature decides to change that law uh, in quick fashion here right. um, to say basically you have to be the um, – uh, the main loser, uh, the second place finisher, not not someone um, uh, deep in the uh, ranks with no chance of actually um, turn, overturning the election. Yeah, uh, this is Detroit today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson. My guest is Chad Livengood. He's a political reporter at the Detroit News. We're talking about uh, the prospect of a recount of Michigan's presidential election re- results, a recount of the ballots that were cast on November 8th. Uh, Jill Stein, uh, the uh, the the Green Party candidate for president, says she would like to have a recount of Michigan's ballots because uh, the margin between uh, Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton was 10,000 votes, pretty close. Uh, not the closest ever, but uh, pretty, pretty uh, close. And uh, she'd like to make sure that all of the votes were tallied in the right way. All of the votes that were cast were tallied. This is a provision of our election law here in the state of Michigan that allows for this to take place. Is this a good idea, though? Uh, Should such a close result always lead uh, to recounts, or should they never lead to recounts? Do you think uh, there should be a recount here in Michigan? Is that going to be worth the time and money that it's going to take? Also, Talk more about voting. Talk about the idea of casting your vote and being certain that it is being counted the way you intended uh, it to be. Uh, Does that always happen? Are you certain that uh, here in Michigan there's a sanctity associated with uh, the ballot that you cast and the way that it's counted? 313-577-1019. It's 313-577-1019. Do recounts help affirm election results, or do they undermine the idea of election results and finality, which is one of the things that uh, we sort of accept here in the United States, that after the election is over, it is over. We don't prosecute it uh, uh, for for an indefinite amount of time. Again, 313-577-1019. It's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page, put your comments there, or go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today. Uh, we'll try to work your comments into the conversation. Let's go to Dan in Livonia. Dan, Hi, welcome Stephen. to welcome to Detroit Today. Uh, so yeah, I think it's a I think it's a waste of time. Um, because I, you know, I, I was an exit pollster, and I watched at the end of the night the officials at that particular uh, polling place. I watched them uh, count up all the votes, tally them, and then they report them. So this idea that they could somehow not be right, I think, is in in any sort of significant fashion, I think, is a dream. And I think these election results are absolutely correct. And these machines, I think we need to remember, they're not connected to the Internet. Right. So the idea that the yeah. Russians could hack them, I think that's some people's conspiracy. I don't think it's Jill Stein's. But yeah. That it's, it could happen, but, you know, that's that's not the case here. So, and So you don't think, though, that this – you don't buy the undercount argument that, that these 84,000 ballots that don't have a presidential vote on them, which is a high number. I mean, that's a lot of people – who apparently didn't mark uh, a candidate for president, or that those marks were not clear enough in order to show on the scanners, you don't think that's a sufficient reason I, to go In out. any other year, I might, but given the, you know, as you mentioned, the disapproval ratings of the two major party candidates. <laughs> Lots year, of people didn't want to vote for president. there weren't more. <laughs> <laughs> All right, uh, Dan, I, I appreciate the call. Uh, thanks very much. Uh, Let's go to Mark and Chelsea. Mark. Yes, hi. Hey. A couple of things. Mm-hmm. Uh, first of all, I do know a lot of people who were so disgusted by this election told me that they weren't voting for um, either party or any of the parties because it was such a crazy election. The other thing that I find really hard to understand is how Jill Stein could generate something like $7 million in 48 hours when it took her 11 months to raise 3.5 during the campaign. <laughs> right. <laughs> and I also, I also really think that 
I'd like to know how much she's getting paid by the Clinton Foundation or the campaign to, to get this done, because I just don't believe that so Mark, he couldn't win any electorates anyway. Yeah. So, so Mark, you know, I mean, really I suspicious for me. Yeah, I, I, I guess I, I can't uh, impeach your suspicion, but I think it's a little irresponsible to throw out there something like, well, the Clinton Foundation is paying for this because, well, no one has even alleged that. I mean, I, you know, I, I, I'd like us to be a little more careful uh, with fact uh, as opposed to opinion and and uh, be careful about accusations without substantiation. But, but, I, but I totally hear what you're saying. I think uh, there's a lot of frustration uh, with uh, Jill Stein and her behavior here because of the way that she ran her campaign, of course, helped uh, confound uh, the, the the results uh, at the at the ballot box. Now she's super concerned. Uh, but but we should also note that she's been super critical of Hillary Clinton all along. This is not somebody who is supportive of Hillary Clinton and didn't want her to be president. Um, so I'm not sure I'm not sure it's fair to, to suggest that uh, she's taking money uh, from the Clintons. But I do appreciate the call, Mark. Let's go to Al in Detroit. Al, welcome Hi, to Detroit today. Hey. Go ahead. Hey, Stephen. Nice to talk to you. Uh-huh. Um, okay. Yes, it's part of our process. If Donald Trump had won a recount, I wouldn't be against him. And here's the reason why. When you have, a, when you have one candidate win the Electoral College, you have another candidate who went 2 million-plus votes, and that, that particular candidate was leading in the polls, when the election before the election began, you have to question things. And when did we become a society that became dependent on machines? Well, I mean, yes, we use them, yeah. but they're not—they're not the end all, the be all. There is such thing as hand handmade. Yeah. Well, so Al, I mean, I—I I actually think I probably fall closer to 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 your position on this than than to some of the others. Uh, I mean, I do believe that that hand counting makes some sense. Uh, do you do you worry though that uh, that a recount, uh, by definition, sort of casts doubt on the outcome or the process? In other words, does it does it say to people, well, what we're doing doesn't really work all that well. We have to go back and check it. When in fact, uh, I think it's a little more likely to show that that uh, the machines we use to count the paper ballots here in Michigan actually do a pretty good job and that the, the 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 end result won't be that different I mean do you do you worry about this this idea of uh, sort of not letting finality sort of take hold over over an election no because the fact that it's just like in school when you, you do your homework your parents or your teachers check your homework you're <laughs> checking your homework yeah, yeah this is basically what we're doing and also it's her dime and I mean Jill Stein's dime She's the one who has come up with the what a two hundred two hundred thousand in Wisconsin and a hundred thousand in Michigan plus wherever it is in in Pennsylvania. It's her money. She's putting it out there. However, she raised it, whether it be Clinton's or you know the, the whatever you know ex fund whatever. It's they someone put up the money for this to happen. Yeah, yeah. checking your homework is not going. If it's not going <laughs> to hurt anything, then let it. And just let it be. Yeah, I, I like that analogy, Al. Checking your homework—that's a—that's a good way to describe this. Thanks very much uh, for the call, uh, Chad Livengood. Talk about the cost here. Uh, the, the, of course, Jill Stein is going to have to come up with this, some money to pay for this, but but it still will cost the state uh, some money too. Uh, to do yeah, this. Uh, the the law requires uh, that a um, whether you're asking for a recount at a county commission or uh, for the presidential race, you have to pay $125 per precinct. And so if you, uh, well, there's 6,300 precincts statewide, it comes out to about $790,000 that she will have to pay in fees. But the state elections director has already said, Chris Thomas has already said that, that the, the cost is going to exceed well over $900,000 and that the additional costs, that 100000 or so, will have, to be, will have to be borne by the counties. Um, and then his staff is going to be essentially consumed for uh, all of the next two weeks. Uh, I mean, they're, they're already, you know, this is a busy time of the year for them with an election. But um, so I, I, there may be some additional costs or there'll be some things they don't get to um, in the Bureau of Elections because they are, uh, you know, working day and night on this. So 
this is this is certainly going to be costing the taxpayers some more money in addition to um, the the cost that uh, Jill Stein will pay for. And on, on her donors, we don't know who they are. We won't know until the 20th of December when she has to file a report with the Federal Election Commission disclosing who, who gave all this money in the month of November uh, in this uh, crowdsourcing campaign. But it's really not even that surprising that she could raise that much money for that subject. I mean, no one wants, no, no one wants to give a lot of money to a Green Party candidate who has no chance winning, but they do are uh, they are interested in giving money to someone who has the right and power to be able to orchestrate a recount and and on the uh, the you know, general issue of of uh, you know sort of trust but verify here um, the president elect Donald Trump has sort of fomented this um, um, distrust in the sure. in the uh, voting system Absolutely. by going out and saying it's rigged throughout the entire campaign and then and then just the other day um, he says he would have won the the popular vote had there not been millions of, of, of illegal voters he's he offered this comment on Twitter with absolutely no evidence and, and in doing so uh, he's he's doing at the same time that he's He's trying to uh, argue against these recounts in three states where he won by a total of 100,000 votes. Yeah. And then he's going off and saying there are two million illegal votes. So it's a lot of confusing commentary that's coming from our political leaders um, that, that's probably got people thinking this is, this is a justified recount. Yeah, yeah. All right. Uh, Chad Livengood, political reporter with the Detroit News, as always. Thanks very much for joining us. Thank you. Absolutely. When we come back, we're going to continue our conversation about the potential recount of presidential ballots here in the state of Michigan. And stay with us on the phones, 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. Chris in Ann Arbor, Olivia in Northville, we will get to you. Stay with us on Detroit Today. listening to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. We are talking about the possible recount of presidential ballots here in the state of Michigan. The Board of Canvassers yesterday certified the election results from November 8th. That's a normal part of the process here in the state of Michigan, and they uh, determined that Donald Trump uh, won the presidential balloting here in the state of Michigan by about 10,000 votes. But candidate Jill Stein of the Green Party says she'd like us to go back and recount those ballots because it was so close. That is also part of the election process here in the state of Michigan. Election law lays out the circumstances under which a recount can take place. But what do you think? Do you think a recount is a way to affirm the results of uh, of the election, or do you think uh, that is a that is a way of undermining uh, certainty about the uh, the election results? Also, this is going to cost us some money to go back and count these votes. Is that worth doing? Is it worth paying to go see whether there are maybe more votes for Hillary Clinton or Donald Trump or Jill Stein in the ballots that were cast November 8th? 313-577-1019 is the number. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page. Put your comments there or go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today uh, and we will try to work your comments into the conversation. Also, talk to me about what you think about voting. There have been a lot of uh, arguments during this campaign about the sanctity of our votes. Donald Trump, uh, the president-elect, has said many times that he believes the system is rigged and most recently said he would have won the popular vote here in the United States if... uh, if not for millions of illegal votes. Uh, He has not said specifically how he thinks those um, illegal votes were cast or what the circumstances were, but he's casting doubt also on election results. Is this recount a way to sort of answer that criticism? Is it a way to make it clearer that the system is not rigged, that the vote you go and cast Uh, when you go uh, into the ballot box, is actually counted the way you intended it to be counted. Again, 313-577-1019 is the number. That's 313-577-1019. 
1-9. Let's go to Olivia in Northville. Hi. Hey, go ahead. I just thought that it would be politically irresponsible of us not to go through with a recount. I mean, it's, if this is who we want as our president, if this is what the Michigan, the state of Michigan represents, then it can do no harm to go through those votes again and affirm that belief. Yeah. And, and I think, and again, Olivia, I think I probably fall closer on the spectrum here to, to you than, than to the opposite side uh, that says don't do the recount. But but there is a part of me that says, uh, you know, I'm, I'm a little worried about the delay. I think, uh, you know, we, we have to have those votes certified for the Electoral College process by a certain point. We all remember what happened in Florida in 2000 when a recount went really sort of off the rails. Uh, uh, do you worry that that going down this road courts uncertainty about the sanctity of those votes? Of course. I mean, there's no there's no question doubt in my mind that that is a problem. But at the same time, we do have Florida in our history, so we know how to make it more efficient. And I mean, that was 16 years ago. We have updated our systems. We have we have a better way of doing this than we did 16 years ago. Yeah. And at the same time, if this does, I mean, if it does cast doubts into people's mind on our election system, I don't think that those are doubts that are not already present. Yeah. People already have shown throughout this election that they have doubt in our electoral college, that they have doubt in our way of voting and our way of doing politics in this country. And I don't think that doing a recount will really sway a lot of that dissent. Yeah, yeah. Okay, Olivia, a great point. Thanks very much for calling and uh, making it. Uh, I, I want to uh, roll two other people into this conversation now. Uh, Rana Romney McDaniel is the chair of the Michigan uh, Republican Party. Rana, welcome back to Detroit Today. Thanks for having me. Great a- to be here. Absolutely. And also Randy Richardville, uh, former Senate Majority Leader here in the state of Michigan, uh, was the Trump 7th Congressional District Chair. Randy, welcome back to Detroit Today as well. Good morning, Stephen. It's yeah. nice to be back. Yeah, uh, Ronna, let's start with you. Uh, what, what do you think about this idea, not just of a recount, but of uh, confirmation that the votes we cast when we go into the ballot box are counted the way that we intend them to be counted. Uh, the, the, the attention right now is on Jill Stein and her ask for a recount, but the president-elect uh, is, is also doing his part to sort of cast doubt on uh, what what happened and, and how it matters. Uh, is a recount a way to sort of answer those criticisms or those questions or do you think it's uh, a, a costly distraction from that effort? Well, I do think the citizens of Michigan have to understand how cumbersome this process is, that uh, it will cost the counties money. We have not heard from the Secretary of State a true estimate of what this will cost to Michigan taxpayers. And let's put this in perspective. Jill Stein got 1.07% of the vote in Michigan. She has 2.2 million votes behind Donald Trump. So if me as a if, if I as a taxpayer now have to pay money for a recount that will effectively have no change on the election, she has said there is no evidence of fraud. She sees no evidence of hacking. She just wants to just feel good about this and and let's do the recount. Well, I don't know if I want my taxpayer funds going to do a recount when there's no significant change that's expected for a candidate who only garnered one percent of the vote here in Michigan. Especially when Hillary Clinton came out the day after the election and gave an excellent speech saying, we need to accept the results of this election and move forward. And what's happening with Jill Stein and this fruitless effort is it is preventing us from moving forward. And it's going to cost. A but, lot of money but, and yeah, a lot of time. It, it is going to cost some money. It is going to cost a lot of money. But but here's here's the thing. The president-elect is also saying... He's not calling that, for a recount. Well, but he's saying if, if, if you disallowed uh, illegal votes, that somehow he would have won the popular vote as well. Is, is there is there is there no uh, uh, sort of answering that those questions? I mean, for instance, if we go back and recount, maybe we find that uh, there were votes cast that should not have counted, and the the margin for Donald Trump moves higher. I mean, is, is this idea of attacking the system is not 
on one side of the equation here. It's 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 both Jill Stein and Donald Trump saying Donald Trump something is about. not asking for any taxpayer funded recount. There's only one candidate. Well, let's let's get past the money, the Rana. Vote. Let's no, get past the money. The money. I mean, I live in Wayne County. Is money more important than money. is money more no. important than people's votes? The vote vote was certified yesterday. The board of canvassers met. We have a threshold in Michigan of two thousand votes that triggers an automatic recount. Jill Stein is saying there's no evidence of fraud. There's no evidence of hacking. So what is her issue? She's not going to change the outcome. So if does it not does it not matter to you that it, it's laid out in our election law that that she can do this? I mean, the law provides for for what she's asking for. She's not asking for anything extraordinary. She's asking for the taxpayers to pay a lot of. But money. that's part I of think, the law, right? Well, I think it's okay to say to Jill Stein, "This is fruitless. This is ridiculous. Yeah. You shouldn't do this petition." Yeah. I think Hillary Clinton and Democrats who were so critical of Donald Trump when he said that he might not accept the results of the election. In fact, Hillary Clinton said he would be undermining democracy. Well, he Why is, right? Language? Isn't he saying, but isn't he by, isn't he by casting his person the on the vote? Come on. No, Stephen, he accepted the results of the election, and he is the president-elect. Not on his Twitter Hillary account, he has He's not asking for a recount. Jill Stein <laughs> is the only candidate right now asking for a recount and not accepting the results of the election. Yeah. Okay. But what I'm asking the Democrats is, why are you not treating her with the same disdain as when Hillary Clinton said to Donald Trump, you are undermining democracy if you do not accept the So, So election. I'm going to say this once, and then we're going to move on. If you can't see the difference between a presidential candidate casting aspersion on the election process before a single vote was even cast, and someone uh, uh, asking that a provision laid out in election law take place? I mean, seriously. I mean, that, that's that's a that's a completely he dishonest comparison. Okay, I'm gonna go to Rich. I, I want to get to Randy here too. Randy, uh, what's your what's your take on this recount? Well, a lot of the things that Rana says, she's very articulate and I think uh, very well informed, and I agree with a lot of the points that she made. Uh, the question that I have is that of motive. Um, you know, we. We heard speeches that it's time for the country to start to unite, and then we have a minor party candidate trying to disunite um, that effort, so to speak. Um, the other question I would have is, why are the only states that are being asked to be recounted are those that Donald Trump won by a small margin? Why not the ones that Hillary Clinton won by a small margin. That's a great so question. So what uh, states would you put on that list? One-sided. What states would well, you put I don't, on that list, Randy? I, I don't have those uh, uh, results in front of me. I think New Hampshire so might have been one of them. Yeah. Okay. Um, no, I think there there are there were some very close results in other states. I mean, you know, I stayed up till 3 in the morning watching Florida, then one by one, you know, the states in the Midwest. But it seems as though there's somebody that wants to cast dispersion on the entire effort. Um, the Board of canvas, Canvassers has certified the election results. 10,000 is a lot. I have been through a recount myself when I won by 770 right. I remember that. years ago. Yeah. And I ended up winning by, I don't know, 800 <laughs> or something. Right. So it didn't make much difference. I, I think there's a lot of integrity in the system. I can't speak to the rhetoric from both campaigns about illegals uh, voting or what happened there. But uh, I have a, a lot of confidence, and I think that the average voter out there, the average person that participated, says, let's accept the results. They are what they are. It sounds like sour grapes otherwise, and a futile effort uh, to try and cause division instead of trying to come together the way that Hillary Clinton said. And what I thought was one of her best um, speeches when she uh, said, you know, that we've got to give Donald Trump a chance to lead, yeah. and we uh, need to come together to yeah. do that. Let's go to Chris in Ann Arbor. Chris, welcome to Detroit today. You there, Chris? Oh. Chris in Ann Arbor. Okay. There you go. Okay. So Alex Halderman, one of the U of M professors who's at the center of this whole New York Magazine story that kind of sparked this thing, had an interesting suggestion that's been largely missed, I feel, which was for risk-limiting audits. We're a little bit late for that now, uh, since the results have already been certified. Yeah, by you have to do that before, answers. right? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So rather than doing a complete recount, you manually count a small proportion, uh, randomly sampled of the ballots, then compare them against the machine results and just make sure that statistically they match up, and then escalate that to a full recount only if necessary. So that limits the cost factor that uh, Rhonda was 
upset about. And it also restores some trust to the public. Yeah. Yeah. No, Chris, that's an interesting uh, idea. And it may be one of the things that uh, I guess we could follow up on after this whole process to try to, again, restore the idea of some integrity uh, in in the process, given the aspersions that have been cast on it. Uh, let's go to Daphne and Franklin. Daphne, welcome to Detroit Today. Hi. Good morning. Hey. Um, uh, your previous caller actually mentioned um, one of my concerns. Um, the state of Michigan does not do automatic audits. Um, Wisconsin, for example, does. Um, and I believe that in this election, they did uncover some uh, irregularities in a few counties um, regarding the votes with that automatic audit. So I think that it is something that Michigan should very seriously look at. Um, I find it you know, kind of disheartening that we have to go through this process potentially every four years. It becomes an, a crisis. You know, There really is something that has to be done about our voting system state by state nationally. Something has to be done to kind of ensure the integrity. I mean, it, it really is an attack on our democracy when so do you, um, we have. But Daphne, I guess, do you, do you feel like there is a, a question about the integrity of the elections process, or do you feel like candidates – for political purposes, cast dispersion on the process in order to, to, to sort of further their own interests? I mean, do you think we have real well, questions think, about how voting t- uh, takes place? I think it is uh, uh, both, actually. You know, um, there there's widespread accounts of uh, voter suppression, the, re- the redistricting, the, the striking down of the Voting Rights Act. You know, I, th- I feel that there is a very real threat to our um, voting rights. Um, as, as, a, as citizens. So I think it, it, it's, I'm thankful personally that Jill Stein um, called for this. I, this is probably the first time I've ever agreed with her on anything. Um, and she is exercising her right as a candidate. Yeah. Okay, Daphne, thanks very much uh, for the call. Uh, let's take one more call quickly before we end here. Joanne in West Bloomfield. Joanne, welcome to Detroit Hi. Today. Hey. Um, yeah, for well, one thing, I'm part of business, and we do routine audits all the time and recounts. I think it strengthens the process, not limits it. I'd rather see an automatic recount at like 5%, but um, there are a lot of absentee ballots. There are uh, that get processed a little differently. There are provisional ballots that, yeah. that get processed a little differently. So a recount really looks at the whole process yeah. and lets people trust it. I don't know why there's a concern. Over, I would be more for making sure all votes count, are counted and verified, no matter who won. And okay. I think it makes Joanne, trust. Joanne, that's going to have to be uh, the last word, I, last word I would say. Rana Romney McDaniel clearly disagrees that uh, that uh, it's worth it's worth you going through all of that. But uh, Rana Romney McDaniel, you'll thank you very much for being here on Detroit today. I don't know if she's there. All right. uh, That's going to do it for me. I'll be back tomorrow. Hope you will, too. This is 1019 WDET Detroit, Wayne State's public radio station. See you tomorrow.